0: Welcome to the Daiku Podcast with Gary Snow. Welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow. There's been a few really great crossover panels hosted by Ben Milton over at Questing Beast YouTube channel, and as an aspiring designer, the topics that interest me the most are about design in the industry. As a patron of Questing Beast, I was able to pose a question on the most recent featuring Hankrin of Runehammer Channel and Trent from the Miscast YouTube channel. My question was. Where do you see the trends for game design evolving, particularly OSR? But I'd be interested to know their views on the industry in general. I would never do justice to capturing the full conversation, so you should really just watch it if you can. But the one point that I really wanted to dive in on was Hankren's analogy of the skateboarding industry in the 80s and the 90s, and how it became so corporate, and then the subsequent backlash against it in the highly synthesized production of what was skateboarding at the time so hankrum believes that rpgs are going through the same process today i could actually really relate to this because i appreciate games that have unique vision and when sometimes you see some of these like really glossy high production value uh, products that D D uh, fifth edition put out there's something kind of missing to that um, and as they say uh, a camel is a horse designed by committee which essentially means that the more voices you allow to provide input, the more homogenized the result becomes. So uh, when you look at it as a singular vision, like there's an artist and, or a designer and they're making uh, their own game, you stand the chance of being unique from the rest of the crowd. And I think people really like unique. And as Hankren described it, you can see where the interns have had their hands in sculpting the minis and it makes you feel connected to the company or the person who makes them. And I don't necessarily mean uh, or I don't necessarily think he means poor production values. Um, But I personally have the desire for high production values in the games I make. But I want to ensure that my fingerprints are on every element. I want you to know that I made the game. That the game reflects my design choices and aesthetics. So if I have high production values, it's because I want that value in the game I make. But ultimately, it'll still be a unique product that just happens to have high production values nothing generic and so that's something that i want to see in the uh, worlds that i make or the settings that i make and you can see this kind of trap that these small companies in all industries not just rpgs kind of fall into they uh, have success but they can't maintain it on the either the single person or the small team that uh, created it in the first place so they end up needing like a product manager a marketing team creative directors, art directors, writers, admin, HR, IT, staff meetings, distribution, and uh, probably a lot of more positions that I'm completely unaware of. So they have to scale up and inevitably they lose a little bit of their soul in the process. And they produce usable products that have a wide reach because the first one was very popular or has been for many years. But the sheer scope of them always almost necessitates a process that destroys their identity. And because the barriers of entry into the RBG, uh, RPG industry have never been lower, you can now see individuals with the unique vision that they're able to get things to market and the market is actually really responding. Uh, take examples like Ultraviolet Grasslands and Electric Bastion Land. You have uh, Luca Rezek, and sorry if I'm pronouncing uh, your name not quite right, um, and uh, Chris McDowell from Electric Bastion Land. They both have a unique vision for their games that comes through in the design. I was reflecting upon the series of books, uh, Designers and Dragons, and uh, that's written by um, the historian Shannon Applecline, and uh, you can get those at Evil Hat. I've got all four copies um, through the years, and so it starts from the 70s, and then it goes to the 80s, 90s, and then the 2000s, and that's as far as they've taken it, even though... In theory um, at some point they'll maybe do the next um, 2010s but it certainly brought back memories of my own experiences over my 30 plus years that i've been playing so when you look at these cycles when you've been doing it as long as i have and you can look at them with broad strokes you know the 70s had od and d like the original that evolved out of chainmail tabletop war games the rpg rules were super minimal they were inconsistent, and in many cases, they probably just didn't even exist. So DMs made them up on the fly. And then in the 80s, there's like a desire, um, you know, with Gary Gygax, he wanted to codify some of these inconsistencies as the industry blossomed, and uh, the games and products were more consistent for, for tournaments and conventions. And then that's, you know, my entry into the in world of Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games with my Red Box as a 10-year-old. And... I have to say, I remember playing my very first game with my friends. We kind of glossed over the rule book. We didn't really understand thaco We didn't really understand hit tables. Uh, so our probably solution was, well, not probably it was our solution that you needed an 11 or higher on a d20 to be successful in hitting. And it seemed like a good number. It made sense to us. And at the end of the day, It was essentially a bunch of kids sitting around telling a story to each other, but it was the most fun that I had role-playing because we were innocent and it was a lot of fun at that point. Uh, So how bad could that actually be? Not bad, right? However, uh, in the 90s, the industry started to mature and ad and D and 1st E and 2E formalized many rules. And then you had all the compendiums and uh, then you had rules lawyers, mid-maxers, and it got kind of crunchy. Uh, but the production values improved immensely and the industry started to grow around it. So you had artists that were purposely um, doing fantasy art and rather back in the old days, you would have just a handful of people. So the rules and the systems got more complex. The open gaming license led to even more complexity and crunch You know, Pathfinder and D&D third edition 3.5, 4. The results in the uh were that uh, just it got super duper crunchy and then in the 2000s you can see the uh, start of um, story driven games powered by the apocalypse fudge fate they tried to remove that crunch and get back to the narrative fun and that did speak to a lot of people and i mean obviously those game systems are still popular today but uh, um, people that couldn't quite get into the uh, story games they've still really liked a little bit of crunch, a little bit of game mechanics that were involved with it. And and I didn't participate because there was a bit of a, a gap in my role-playing career, but The Forge, which I understand could be very uh, contentious at times with this battle over story-driven games and crunch and what it means to role-play. So a lot of really good philosophical questions were answered at that time, uh, or at least brought up in that time. I don't know if there's ever going to be a solution to a lot of them. But ultimately, I think what it comes down to is there's different horses for different courses and to each their own everybody kind of likes their own style of play and that's ultimately i think what it comes down to for role-playing games but where we are now is the evolution from google plus from that and the the groups and the blogs that resulted and ultimately the osr flowed from that Um, and i was uh, personally attracted back into the industry by uh, Honey Heist by Grant Howitt and I saw that and I went boy that inspires me going back to the simplicity of what a game can be and so I was quite taken by that and I've been kind of poking away at that for now uh, probably a couple years of looking at that and thinking what a, a great idea. It was, and you know hats off to him and all the other one page designers that have kind of blossomed in this environment um, and i It reminded me of those hand waving days uh, where I just had to roll eleven or over, and it was good storytelling, but I have to say it is tough to reconcile this minimal of a game as an adult, at least not on a regular basis, maybe a one shot. It's fun, and perhaps uh, it for me though it's a bit too much like just playing make believe it's just missing too much of the game portion because there's just not enough rules in place. Uh, And that's when I started to do my own searching for rule light games that fall into that kind of happy spot of balancing the narrative part of it, the hand-waving, the feel-good 10-year-old and the game part of it, the mechanics. And that's what essentially led me to the OSR, which for many and many other people, uh, it scratches that itch uh, that reminds you of what it feels like to be playing as a kid and just what role-playing games can be. So I kind of feel grounded in what I think OSR is. I'm not an expert at it, and my take on it, and at a very simplistic level, and the most frequent statement I hear is, OSR is about rulings over rules. And I know there's more to it than that, but if I can take a crack at what it means, it's essentially that you leave enough gray area that the DM is not hindered by hard and fast rules, or players for that matter. You make rulings on the spot and you use the balancing of a bare bones mechanics and you leave it up to the interpretation of the DM and the players. So this goes back to the question I posed to the panel on Question Beast. Where do you see trends going for the industry and in particular the OSR? So it's maybe important to point out that the OSR had its roots in the retro clones, the basic fantasy, swords and wizardry, Osric and old school essentials, where it was like trying to recapture that magic, but um, some of the, you know, clearing up some inconsistencies. But now that I think we've basically gone through all the different clones or retro clones, and there's no more to uh, redo, you're starting to see a new way of of design and which I've uh, seen one person actually described as the new SR or instead of the OSR. And uh, so from my perspective, when you've been around long enough and you've seen cycles, not just in role-playing games, but industry in general, and you see how things kind of repeat itself after a while, I think uh, the people that are currently enjoying the uh, OSR hand-waving of it will once again kind of find that, you know, maybe there's not quite enough game mechanics there. Uh, because in my experience, most players tend to compare attribute scores. It's just the way it is. Uh, players like to have individuality. Uh, and when you have a game that only has three attributes and no skills, and a lot of it is up to interpretation, it kind of doesn't fit for some players. And I don't think the f- the current games are far off, but I think um, with that cycle that I was mentioning, I think we'll go through that same transition from ODD uh, and transition to basic expert complexity And it's kind of funny that from my perspective, it's almost like a 30-year cycle to almost end up where we started. So, you know, this leads me to some underlying philosophies on the Daiku game system that I've been working on and trying to solve things that uh, I I want to or I just didn't like about certain uh, gaming systems. And that's, once again, a personal preference, courses for courses, and uh, I say this with a caveat that it's entirely possible that I might produce the worst game system in the history of RPGs. So, you know, time will tell. Uh, I'll release it and I'm sure there will be feedback on it. And uh, obviously, I will add my voice into the the world of the uh, OSR, new SR, in um, the evolution of RPG. And, and hopefully um, people like it. But uh, I just wanted to talk about maybe some of my solutions or preferences that I'm attempting to do in the design of the DICU system, uh, since we're on the topic of uh, the industry and the OSR. So, attributes and modifiers. I've never really understood why we have attributes, and then there's modifiers from those attributes. And uh, in classic D&D, you know, a lot of the attribute scores don't do anything. There's no modifiers at all. And so it makes you kind of go, what's the point of even having the attributes one to 18 or one to 20, some people in some cases, um, and then the modifier. And, uh, you know, I've seen, um, some ideas of like, I think it's more Borg where you get the attribute and then the modifier, and then you throw the attribute away. And I'm kind of like, why do you even do that? Uh, can you not combine them into one thing? And it's a redundant stat. You don't need to track, the attribute and the modifier. So in the DICU system, you just have the attribute. And uh, so that's one item that I'm hopefully going to solve and develop the mechanic around that. Uh, And I also kind of found that concentration should count for something. And I know that uh, in some systems that you can get an advantage if you just take the time, like just to say to aim or if uh, you know, you're doing something where you're on higher ground, you get the advantage. But concentration rarely kind of like is always in focus in a lot of these systems. And I wanted it to be be like a little bit more realistically. And uh, the one that's always stuck with me for like 20 years now is like, there's passive actions and there's active actions. And the passive ones are kind of more like when you're on cruise control and you're just doing something. And then active actions that you actually concentrate on. And uh, so in the, my system, I've incorporated um, both of those elements into your actions. And the other thing that I always kind of bugged me is when you look at the breakdown of a turn, it's always, well, where do you move? Like you do your move first and then you do your other actions. Or, you know, then you do your um, range weapons and melee weapons. And for me, it just kind of it was a little bit too much of like, I think people were still stuck or still are stuck on the tabletop war games and how that started where you have to move, like where it feels like you have to move. Like, what if I don't want to move? Shouldn't I get a bonus from that? And that goes back to my passive and active actions. Like for me, uh, Moving is an action, but if you choose not to move, you should gain a benefit from that. So that's the way the Daiku system is kind of set up is that you can use a, uh, a passive action and an active action, and there's more detail to it in the game system, but as a high level, that's kind of the way it works is that you you can change your strategy within your action choices, and based upon those strategies you get to do different things and you might get an advantage or a disadvantage because of the way you're doing it it probably sounds more complicated than it is because it's actually very uh, simple you only have two options but um, i spoke previously about having in um, previous podcasts about having it to be similar to chess so that there's basic moves but within those basic moves there's a wide range of strategy that you can take so it should be easy for new players and it never loses the complexity for the skilled player. So that's my goal with actions. And uh, and this leads me into skills. So as mentioned, I wanted to uh, make attributes the fulcrum of the system. Not modifiers, but attributes. And so you have the ability to use skills, or as I call them, actions um, in the Daiku system. And I've noticed that you know a lot of OSR designers do not like skills. And I remember a uh, recent Questing Beast uh, episode where Ben uh, Milton had Seth Skorkowski on there and he asked the question, do you find having skills on character sheets make players look down at their sheets for solutions rather than approach the situation? So that was obviously kind of an OSR driven question. But his blunt answer was no, he's a skill-based player, which is completely understandable. He's a big fan of Cthulhu and Traveler, which use skill systems pretty extensively. But it definitely highlighted the current mood in the OSR that skills are frowned upon as it tempts players to not be innovative in their gameplay. And perhaps uh, this might be the point that I'm trying to make um, where the OSR is and uh, perhaps where it eventually will be. Because I think right now the, the desire for the hand waving, it's almost like cleansing the palate. After a meal or a course, and you need to cleanse the palate, it's there's so much crunch that the OSR is just a, a, a cleanser for your palate. But I do think at some point, uh, people are going to go, you know what, three attributes, I don't know if that's enough. And um, because people eventually do like to differentiate their characters, uh, one of the skill systems that I always thought was really. Um, Kind of well done, and I'll say the daiku system kind of builds off some of the theories in it is uh the star wars d six uh by West End games and uh, I know there's uh West End games um went under, but they did release uh, the d six system as open source and so it's a really good system. you should go check it out uh but my only complaint was about I hated adding those dice, <laughs> so if you had uh Jedi that was super powerful and they might have 8D6 on a skill, um, you know, you would roll eight dice and then you would spend the time adding them up, which I always was disappointed in. I mean, it technically it worked, but uh, the, um, the thing that I wanted to do in the die Q system was have a single die roll resolution. And it's something about when you roll that 20-sided die and everybody sees the number you need. And when you see it come up or the finish rolling, and it's 18 and you needed 18 everybody cheers or if you needed a 18 and you got a 17 everybody's disappointed and but it's everybody knows kind of at the same time and uh, you just don't get that from multiple dice and uh, it requires too much of uh, a mental uh, connection there and i know some people just go just tell me if i hit you know like i don't care but uh, I, i think there's something valuable about a single die roll achieving the outcome of uh, the mechanics so Daiku's system is based upon that uh, which leads me into classes and uh, going it's similar to skills that some people do not like classes and uh, but I do think classes help sculpt the character and provide some context within the setting so uh, I think the OSR can fall into the trap that there's a you know you start with one class uh, typically mm-hmm. you would have like a Uh, fighter group of fighters you know it's the funnel (laughs) we're all going in we have no skills we're villagers Um, and then eventually uh the uh, the party and the characters kind of evolve from their actions in the environment which is great it kind of it does work and it's fun i don't know if you could do that on a consistent basis but i know some people do but i always always liked that uh Classes kind of help define your character and the interrelation that they have within the party. I mean, every uh, popular uh, movie they have different people doing different activities, and I think it's kind of important to set up um, a group like that, an adventuring party. So with the uh, with the classes, at one point I was all on board with just kind of doing the funnel and everybody being the same, and then as I started to really think about it, I think people like classes it also adds character and um it makes the setting more evocative for them to kind of have a unique place within it so i actually went the opposite way where i was like how many more classes can i build i was excited to actually think of more classes and it actually helped my world building as i went through it so once again i you know i think people like to compare stats and have a bit of uniqueness so going back to uh, having attributes skills and classes um I don't think is a bad thing, even though I know it's probably not exactly uh, a purist OSR kind of mentality. Um, I I still feel it can be done with uh, hopefully the Daiku system, which is hopefully a very simple, uh, elegant uh, solution for that. Uh, One of the other uh, struggles, not struggles, but many systems have is that, uh, you know, it works fine if you're using a sword, but what about magic? What about psionics? What about superpowers? Essentially, you need to create a universal system. And so you've got ones like GURPS in the Tiny um, series does a really good job of that. And so they work for all facets where you can take that system and move it into different worlds. And it works relatively well where Dungeons and Dragons or the D20 and D20 Modern all kind of had some things they had to bolt on to kind of make it work. And uh, because... Uh, The City's Grim has all these diverse elements, powers, superpowers, psionics, magic, and combat. There's a lot of things that I have to take into account. So unknowingly or unintentionally, I've designed a universal system through the Daiku system, which actually I think is going to help me in future game settings that I've been noodling on and I can't seem to stop noodling on. So there's the City's Grim and there's a a few others already in my head lined up. So... um, stay tuned for those and uh perhaps uh one of the things that i'm most curious about and maybe uh, a change from a way a lot of game systems work is i have no charisma or comeliness um and other DD games or looks or beauty or anything like that in the daiku system I none none of it and because you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder you have different people that can um be better connected with um different uh aspects of who they are you know in the in the gangster world you have more of sway over somebody that uh, in polite society and i just that's those social roles just have never kind of sat with me that uh you know i try to convince the the bartender to give me an extra drink or if i try to get a deal on uh, item i'm trying to buy at the shop I just never liked it i always thought you should uh role play that kind of stuff and it goes back to my 10 year old hand waving uh that you just kind of work it out uh in the rb rpg world and so it's kind of funny that uh here i am i'm not a huge story uh game fan myself uh and uh here you know the, i think this is almost get making people role play. So with that said, I know some people might say, well, you know, what about shy players? Uh, and if it's anything like life, uh, the more you do something, the more comfortable you get at it. And I'm actually developing a whole uh, write-up about how to assist and mitigate against people feeling uncomfortable. But I think role-playing and the social aspect of role-playing is a part of role-playing games. And I don't want to disclude anybody, but uh anyways i've decided not to actually have any social uh, reactions like that within uh, the daiku system so uh that being what it is uh there's other things that uh um i'm looking forward to uh, such as the armor defense um, mechanism that i've been working on and uh, character alignments and backstories and uh you know probably those are topics for another day but for me the the conversations that i've seen on questing beast have kind of circled around uh, the osr and the industry in general and since i'm aspiring to put out some osr variants um, within the world i i've found them very interesting i just wanted to share my thoughts on them and i welcome any feedback that you have on them whether uh, it's on uh, our youtube uh, channel that i rebroadcast the podcast on or on the podcast feel free to leave a phone message and tell me how stupid I am. Uh, All those are good and I appreciate the dialogue. So feel free to uh, reach out and visit us on uh, social media. And if you're interested in playtesting the Daiku system, uh, there's a form to fill out on daikugames.com or you can uh, follow us on social media at Daikou Games on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I even started a TikTok even though I don't quite know what to put on there. And uh, as well as, uh, you know, I'm on uh, a lot of Discord servers and Reddit. And so if you look uh, for Daiku Games, uh, I should be there. So until next time, stay safe and happy rolling.